0: So my sweet friend Nancy gave me a book called Vitamania by Catherine Price. And I read this book while traveling Europe pre-coronavirus and absolutely loved it and knew we needed to have Staministas cover vitamins.
1: Definitely. And then I borrowed the book from Emma and also read it. Um, you know, some of the things in there really surprised me. Yeah, me too. I hate had no idea how much, like, vitamins were a part of our lives with them enriching it in foods and a little surprised that that, that they aren't more regulated. But I guess we'll get into that later.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know this is like uncovering all the truth of vitamins in this podcast or two podcasts, actually, because we're planning to break this up into two.
1: Right. Since there was so much um, that Catherine Price covered in this book, we thought it would be good to break it up into two podcasts. So in this video, we're going to cover... Um, more about the basics of vitamins, what they are, and some of the history of vitamins and their marketing. So in the second podcast, we will talk more about their regulation and uh, get into nutrition.
0: Rachel, one plus of this quarantine is I'm getting outside a ton, getting a tan, and also netting a lot of vitamin D have you been getting out a lot as well
1: yeah you know it's funny you said that because this morning I took a run on the beach I'm at the beach right now soaking some raisin and um I also even though my marathon got my half marathon got canceled obviously because of the social distancing requirements um I kept training, and I uh, ran my half marathon alone. (laughs) Woo, congrats. I mean, it's a bummer you had to run
0: alone, but that's a huge accomplishment. So we hear a lot about vitamins in the news, from the importance of getting outside and getting vitamin D, to vitamin A being important for our eyes, and to folic acid being crucial for pregnant women. But what actually are vitamins?
1: Vitamins are a group of 13 molecules, which are often called micronutrients, and these micronutrients are needed for the body to function properly. So vitamins actually function in molecular processes that are going on in your bodies, and that's why having low levels of one vitamin can drastically affect your health, as we'll talk about a little bit later.
0: So as Rachel mentioned, vitamins are extremely important. Some of the functions of vitamins include helping your blood clot when you have a cut, And this is the job of vitamin K. Uh, Folic acid, as I kind of mentioned, helps the baby's spinal cord and brain develop in pregnant women. And many of the vitamins help convert your food that you eat into energy. And then there's other vitamins like vitamin B6 that play a role in mood, sleep, and appetite. So you can see that these different vitamins have many different functions in the body, but all these functions are crucial
1: for life. One might say vital. (laughs) (laughs) Hey. <laughs> so yes, vitamins are very important for our body functions. And to delve a little more into the specifics of vitamins, you might have heard of the term plant versus animal vitamins. So some vitamins you can only get in animals, for instance B12 and vitamin D3 and vitamin K2. Other vitamins such as vitamin E and vitamin C are more bioavailable in plants. So that means that our body can more easily use the vitamin.
0: You may also have heard the distinguishing factor of vitamins being either water-soluble or fat-soluble. So just to break that down a little bit, water-soluble vitamins are vitamins that can dissolve in water. And if you get too much of those vitamins that are water-soluble, you'll pee them out. Uh, Fat-soluble vitamins can actually get stored in your fat tissue. And if people have too many of the fat-soluble vitamins, this can actually... Build up in your fat and cause vitamin related toxicity. So, it's important when you do take vitamin supplements that you're not just chugging these supplements down, especially if they're a fat soluble vitamin, and you're very aware if you're taking fat soluble vitamins or water soluble vitamins.
1: Yeah, and this is a key point here. So, we're going to keep saying this probably in this video and the next one that you really can't have too much of a good thing, and that's very much the case with vitamins.
0: And it's important, just do your research. There's lots of places online and I think we're linking an article where you can read about fat soluble versus water soluble. For example, vitamin C is water soluble. So you can take it you can technically take as much of that as you want, but at a certain point you're just gonna pee out on vitamin C if you've gotten too much. Yeah,
1: so you don't wanna waste your money. <laughs>
0: So speaking about vitamin C, let's go back to the past. In the ye olden days, sailors would sail on boats for quite a long time. (laughs) Most of these sailors would develop scurvy, which is a disease marked by loss of teeth as your gums degrade, body weakness, and internal hemorrhaging. So not a good time. Ships actually estimated that 50% of their crew would die from scurvy on each voyage.
1: So we're all pretty familiar with the fact that scurvy is caused by lack of vitamin C. But have you ever wondered why?
0: Our bodies undergo millions of chemical reactions every day. These reactions take certain molecules and transform them into other molecules. Often this process takes a really long time unless you have an enzyme which basically acts as some gas to get your car going. In this case, gas to get the reaction going. Enzymes actually rely on vitamins to work. Vitamins get used up to start the car in the process, while enzymes
1: do not get used up. Wow, the unsung heroes of our bodies, vitamins. Yes. (laughs) Um, So in the case of scurvy, vitamin C helps with the production of collagen, uh, which is important for holding our tissues together.
0: That's why people who would get scurvy, their tissues would basically fall apart and they kind of die from the inside. Really disgusting. Cute. (laughs) (laughs) So there's other diseases caused by vitamin deficiency, like beriberi, which is caused by a lack of thymine or vitamin B1. There's even a retinal disease caused by vitamin A deficiency that actually still affects some populations in the world today who don't get enough vitamin A.
1: We know quite a bit about how vitamins work and their importance, but what happened once people realized how important these vitamins are?
0: Back in the 1920s, a chemist by the name of Elmer McCollum was instrumental in getting the public interested in vitamins. McCollum's background was actually steeped in the importance of vitamins. When he was little, his mother gave him a boiled cow's milk and potato concoction, and he started to develop scurvy. What?
1: From boiled milk?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was surprised at this too, but in Catherine's book, she talked about how cow's milk is a large source of vitamin C. But when you boil cow's milk, this causes the vitamin C to be destroyed. So interestingly, later on, McCollum pursued a career in agricultural research, which led him to have a foray into nutrition. And eventually, he helped discover the importance of vitamin A, so the vitamin that we associate with eyesight and carrots. It's important to note that at this time, no one knew the structure of vitamins. They just knew that certain vitamins were in certain foods and were important for humans. So their knowledge was very limited.
1: Back to McCollum, because of his research on vitamins, he began a public health campaign to educate people on the importance of vitamins. So this campaign took off um, and McCollum became the primo scientific communicator on vitamins. Uh, He was encouraging people to eat less refined and processed foods and instead focus on drinking milk, eating vegetables, both of which contain many vitamins.
0: It's worth noting that at this point in history, people were focusing on macronutrients for their diet and calories for their nutrition, which isn't too far from the kind of diets people focus on today.
1: Definitely. When we talk about macronutrients, um, we mean that each food can be broken down into carbs, fats, and proteins, and these are the building blocks your body uses from the foods that you eat.
0: So once McCollum uh, proposed all of this, it was actually pretty different from what they'd been focusing on before. And as he began to push more and more vitamins, he created a chart of what different vitamins did for people. And instead of people feeling like they could make informed decisions about what they needed to eat by looking at this chart, they were actually pretty scared by the claims McCollum made about what happened to your body when you didn't get enough vitamins. He made these really brash and overarching statements about teeth decay, heart action, and embryos not developing. Yikes. (laughs)
1: Yikes. <laughs> it's not that um, vitamins are important, but the, this kind of sounds like he was preying on people for not knowing what to do and then scaring them into thinking, you know, I, th- I might have a deficiency in a nutrient um, when people aren't really prob- aren't really likely to be deficient in nutrients, um, there, but there's no way to test it, especially in the in the 1920s. There was no way to test if they were deficient or not. So This is scaring people.
0: Yeah, and we see this today, and we're going to get into that more in regards to marketing of vitamins today.
1: I mean, that's the key of all market good good marketing: make people think that they need your product, that they it's filling a hole, something they're missing in their lives. Exactly, <laughs> but this is just kind of cruel because you're you're in a way like backing it up with some scientific studies, so w- giving you more clout, and then that like really it not just makes people want, it, it makes people scared. Exactly.
0: And especially because they didn't really know how to understand that research and McCollum couldn't even probably explain all of it because they didn't know structures of vitamins or what they all did. But this focus on vitamins back in the 1920s began what we know of today as a huge emphasis on vitamins and thinking that by not getting vitamins, this causes every problem in your life.
1: We mentioned that in the 1920s, you couldn't test to see what people's vitamins levels are. Well, today, people actually can test vitamin levels by getting a blood test.
0: However, this does come with potential problems. We've talked in several of our videos on nutrition and even genetics that people respond differently to medicine, food, etc. Depending on how their bodies are and specifically their genetic code. In the case of vitamins, it's the same thing. I could have a different ideal vitamin range than someone else just because of the difference in our genetics. I think redheads are, again, a good example of this, as much as I bring up my red hair, because we actually produce our own vitamin D. We're not dependent on the sun for vitamin D, because when we're out in the sun, we burn to a crisp.
1: (laughs) That is funny. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. So vitamin D actually is a really good example of this. Um... Because some places define a low vitamin D level as less than 20 nanograms per milliliter. And other groups have different definitions, including 30 nanograms per milliliter. And even other groups defines it as 12.5 nanograms per milliliter. So all of these groups have scientists who specialize in disorders involving vitamins, and they can't even agree on what the proper amount should be. <laughs> Um, with vitamin D, the current consensus is that we don't know enough yet to decide recommendations because that could also depend on your race, age, and apparently hair color.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And there's even researchers at our university trying to understand more of these differences in vitamin D tolerances, because that can have a huge effect on if you really need vitamin D, you might need to take a lot more than the average person. But you may wonder, who defines all of these recommendations anyway? Because there are official guidelines out there for how much vitamins you should get. In 1943, the Dietary Reference Index was established, which listed out recommended daily amounts, or RDAs, of vitamins and minerals that people should have. And these values have since been updated by the Institute of Medicine at the National Academy of Sciences Food and Nutrition Board, which is a non-governmental agency. So they updated these kind of doing some studies separate from the government just to make sure that the government wasn't having a hand in trying to, like, push certain agendas in terms of vitamins.
1: I was really hoping you were going to tell me they've been updated since 1943. So that's encouraging. (laughs) (laughs) Um, However, at the end of the day, the FDA is responsible for deciding the recommended RDA for people. So once these references were put into place, uh, foods began to be fortified and enriched with certain vitamins. So McCollum also began heralding the miracles of vitamins. Every product um, began to be marketed as having vitamins as the next product. And um, he marketed the vitamins for doing things that they couldn't even do.
0: And we see the aftermath of this all the time. I mean, you read about a magic pull for weight loss or a new smoothie recipe that's guaranteed to make your hair grow in two days. There's really nothing new under the sun when it comes to this. And the push in the 1920s for vitamins led to a lot of focus on enrichment and fortification, which we'll get into a little bit.
1: Right. So, uh, you know, enrichment and fortification are different things. So enriching foods of vitamins isn't really all that bad. And it's actually important for um, preventing nutritional deficiencies because, the American diet is so terrible. So most people don't get enough of their fruits and veggies and they kind of prefer these really processed grains. So some, most people will prefer like white rice versus brown rice or regular pasta and white bread over like the healthy whole grain. Um, so when these foods become processed, that destroys the vitamins in the process. Um, So that's why it's important to uh, enrich these foods with vitamins after they are made so that people aren't um, lacking those vitamins and having deficiencies in their diets. Um, So once vitamins began being added to food, there was a need for more vitamins to be produced. And this led to an influx in the creation of synthetic vitamins synthetic vitamins are different from natural vitamins in that they are made in an industrial process. So this looks almost the same as natural vitamins, but they're actually produced differently than how the natural vitamins are produced.
0: And I talked to a PhD candidate, Heather, who is actually studying vitamins for her research. And she said her field, it's still very much debated if synthetic is different from natural and if one's better than the other so that's not totally clear but you may have heard of people responding differently to synthetic vitamins say if they pop a vitamin d pill versus get vitamin d through something else and the reason for this mainly is because when you eat foods with vitamins you're consuming carbs proteins fats minerals and vitamins all at once and some of these foods actually work together to help you absorb vitamins better if you look at some of the fat soluble vitamins they say okay it's better to have a fat-soluble vitamin while you're also eating fat. So in the case of salmon it's a great example. If you just took a vitamin supplement, your body may not process the vitamin the same way, depending on what the vitamin is.
1: Right. And I feel like that was one of the main points of the book is that th- we understand so little about nutrition. And we con- like since the 1800s, we've been trying to break food down to its most natural parts so we can eat the most calorie-packed, like perfect meals. But we just don't understand enough. And actually, when you try to break food down and extract out like those key parts, you're losing so much that, you know, we can never recreate the apple. It It's there already. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you make a great point. We all have different needs in terms of nutrition, like a... A weightlifter versus a runner, they need different sorts of foods that they need to focus on. Same with like a pregnant woman versus a non-pregnant woman. So nutrition is one of those things where it's still science, but it's this crazy science that's like hooked up to your genetics and your environmental factors and your activity levels.
1: So there's so much to unpack in terms of nutrition. Definitely. And when we um, read about this in the book, um, both of us were kind of surprised because, you know, I feel like most people our age grew up taking a multivitamin, and from reading most of the book, you start to get a little bit paranoid that you're not getting enough vitamins. Exactly. Yeah, I was
0: definitely surprised, because if you think about all of our foods that are fortified and enriched, we do actually get quite a bit of vitamins, even if they're not technically from their natural plant, meat, milk
1: sources, So one thing to note, we've been talking already a lot about like fortified and enriched and throwing those terms around, but uh, they are different things. So when foods are processed, as I was talking about before, we lose those natural vitamins. And when you enrich foods with vitamins, you're kind of replacing the vitamins that should be there. So you can restore those foods to have their appropriate amount of vitamins fortification is different. Um, You're not replacing what's gone. You're adding vitamins on top to a food or beverage like milk that didn't have those vitamins to start with.
0: And we kind of mentioned already in the 1920s when there was the push to add more and more vitamins, the processed food industry had to catch up and vi- add vitamins back to the food they were processing. And they actually weren't very happy about this.
1: Right. I mean, it costs, it costs like extra money. I can see why it, they would be upset about that because it costs like, why are they having to pay extra money to put these extra things back into their food?
0: Yeah, exactly. I think they were definitely... Annoyed, not knowing if these vitamins were just a marketing gimmick or actually doing something. But when we talked to Heather, uh, the PhD candidate studying vitamins, she mentioned that when vitamins are enriched or fortified in foods, it's actually pretty
1: strategically done. When wheat kernels are processed down to create white flour, a lot of B vitamins are lost due to the hole being removed from the kernel. So vitamin B will then be added back uh, to try and recoup some of that loss.
0: The same thing happens with milk. So the more fat you remove from milk, the less calcium is present. So that is why milk is fortified with vitamin D, because vitamin D is necessary for your body to absorb calcium. So when you have that vitamin D added to the milk, you can better absorb the calcium that's there. And I think they also add back some calcium as well.
1: Yeah, reading about the milk really freaked me out, because, you know, I'm lactose intolerant, and I started getting worried that I'm not getting enough vitamin D. <laughs> I went out and bought some almond milk, which has been fortified with vitamin D. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh. So one of the main points of Vitamania is that it's better to get your vitamins from food than, than supplements or fortified or enriched foods because vitamins are in their most natural state when you're getting them from fruits, vegetables, and meat. Besides vitamins and minerals in the plants, there are also other important compounds found in plants, which are termed phytochemicals. So these chemi- are chemicals such as carotenoids, flavonoids, and others that scientists are still trying to discover all that they do for human health. So we don't know a lot about them yet, but they could be important. So why and we're not saying them?
0: that you have to eat a completely whole food diet, but if you're worried about your vitamin intake a great way to increase that vitamin intake is to eat more vegetables they say like eat the rainbow of vegetables (laughs) and fruits and also try and get some meat and milk in your diet i mean it's amazing when you look at the diets of our ancestors and they just ate what was in the earth and they were fine and now we're so concerned about getting everything because our diet's horrible as americans and we just kind of need to eat, chill.
1: Yeah, but our ancestors would be so jealous of that. We got like Twinkies and <laughs> ice cream, <laughs> candy. But
0: to give you a brief synopsis of our next video, we're going to get into nutritional supplements, not just vitamins, because believe it or not, No nutritional supplements, including vitamins, are regulated by the FDA. So you have no idea if the vitamin D you're getting in a pill form is truly vitamin D unless you trust the company.
1: That's a scary thought. (laughs) So stay
0: tuned.